Uh, how do you start a podcast? Uh, welcome, everybody, um, to Good Times in Montreal. We're the GTs. My name is Paul, and this is my mm-hmm. co-host. I'm Sam. And she's the drummer in the GTs. And uh, enough about that. Uh, we're a <laughs> podcast that we're going to be doing uh, things we're into, you know, something we saw. Something we read. And something we heard. So we're going to touch on the, those things, hopefully on a weekly basis, or in this case, two weeks since our broadcast debut. Bi-weekly? Or is that twice a week? Well, we're going to try and do it every week. And uh, we had some stuff happened literally the studio the the, mm-hmm. the ceiling opened up and rained upon us mm, we had a, a, a bit of a tragic week last upon week. i don't know about tragic but upon this microphone you, you found it tragic it wasn't tragic we uh, we had a couple of unfortunate events that happened last week on in my during my birthday week we had a couple just had a couple of like yeah there was a fire downstairs and the ceiling opened up yeah and your and your dad it's had, apocalyptic I yeah mean, it was like scary things, but we're, everything's fine now. My dad had an infection, so I didn't yeah. want to bring it up. No, but, I'm sorry. Uh, but you had a day that turned into a longer day than expected. Yeah, we're, we're hanging out in the emergency room, and that bled into your birthday dinner, which was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> because I was in an emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. Such a drag. With, with like nine coughing people it's uh, the creepiest like uh, had my scarf it was like scarf on inside <laughs> scenario like scarf over my nose and mouth no. oh no but so but we did enjoy a couple things and we're going to talk yeah. to you guys about it yeah. this week uh we're going to start off with something i read <clears throat> which is very recently we're going to try and keep this podcast up to the second and uh i'm sure a lot of you are aware of Trump mania sweeping the United States of America. Unfortunately. But then there's also a thing called Bernie Sanders feeling the burn. And that seems to be sweeping America too. So Yay. in the past few weeks, rather than be like totally bummed out by the Trump thing, I'm inspired by Bernie Sanders having such a successful go of it. Now, we're past Super Tuesday, which in the state's jargon, that means, you know, nine or so states vote on who they're going to eventually choose as the the, the delegate to run for the Republicans and to run for the uh, Democrats. Okay, nothing no one knows, or if you don't, happy to tell you. Anyway, so I just read this article. So I've been feeling secure in in the sense that Trump is alienating a lot of people, crazy bastard that he is, and we'll be fine with our, you know, uh, either Hillary or Bernie should do away with him quite nicely if he in fact wins. And then I read a really odd statistic, and this is where it comes to what I read. And it was just a blurb, it's just a headline, but it was creepy. Well, okay, and and this is that a lot less Democrats are are motivated to go out and vote in these primaries. In other words, Bernie and Hillary are not inspiring the base as much as Trump is bringing out people and voting for him. Three million more people voted in the Republican primaries in this past run. And Rep- Democrat voters are coming down at one-third less of the people are coming out than say in the 2008 where everyone was very very motivated and that 
elected the first black president. So it's like that was amazing kind of a galvanization of that base. And Trump, either he's bringing out every wacko and yahoo that ever lived in a log cabin and people aren't getting too excited about what's happening on the Democratic side. So <laughs> all that to say, I've been feeling like kind of like warmed by, okay, Bernie's out there, kind of has a socialist message and it's kind of amazing that that resonates. Yeah, he resonates. That in, 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 to American ears. Like, yeah. that's news to me. That's astonishing. And, and I thought, great news. So the fact that this tr w Trump wave is way more powerful than we mm -hmm. ever acknowledge is terrifying. And American listeners, which I don't know if we have any, but... Uh, my goodness let's let's do something about this but anyway so let's keep an eye on that folks uh thank god we don't that's live down there unfortunate statistic for sure anyway so that's something i read this week what did you read this week so i mean it's something that i sort of read every week and i just thought i wanted to mention um a favorite uh new yorker writer of mine i just wanted to give a shout out because he's a big part of my life and we often in my family read his articles out loud anthony lane he is the film critic for the new yorker he is the kind of writer where you don't actually know if he likes the movie or not he's like describing the universe that the movie lives in and then through that i decide whether or not i want to go see the movie like we often have conversations because i like to know about a film before seeing it and you don't and i feel like when i read about anthony lane i still don't really know what i'm gonna see i just know I want to see that movie. So I think that he's like a, an excellent writer and he happens to be writing about film. I love reviewers that like, that don't give away the plot, like beat for beat. Like yeah, those no. yeah, hacks mm -hmm. that can really just, they have nothing to say. They see the movie and they just break down. There's a little opening paragraph describing, you know, the tone or a couple details about the director or the context. And then the rest of the article is prot. A plot summary followed by a little like thumbs up thumbs down and it's like film criticism has gotten really really bad yes I agree. and i i'll check my rotten tomatoes like the rest of us but uh i don't have my film critic guys i know i used to have so many i had so many go-tos even like people i didn't like but i still like to read what they had to say because i almost knew that i would like the movie if they didn't like it because we had such like ah, yeah. up opposite like peter travers from rolling stone i, I would have the <laughs> diametric opposite opinion always i think he's a whore right i don't know i just he's, don't like his writing i don't his like his name taste. is on every crappy movie like, I, don't, I haven't read rolling stone magazine i have to say no but you see his name all the time yeah yeah and you just know he's a yeah 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 because his name like well back in the day when we would see more you know like movie posters out and about rather than however we get films promoted to now yeah but there was a period where you know the film critic blurb or or, or yeah like, copy would be big part of the advertising campaign and his name was always yeah there it's true on every piece of crop you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. yeah okay something red i mean and which I think I placed upon your pillow. You did. <laughs> of, of your first um, uh, issue of your subscription, which came in as a, as a birthday gift from uh, my mom to you, which is... Very sweet. Really sweet. The perfect gift. Absolutely. Actually is like... Shout out to Paul's wow. mom. <laughs> That's yeah. like... She totally got my number. Yeah. I was like... Perfect okay. timing. I didn't know like the, 
the the quality of gift giving was <laughs> so intuitive on her end. So, but that was really cool, and the timing was kind it's of perfect because my subscription that you got me last year for Christmas digitally ran out, and I was jonesing. I, it's yeah. like I'm a, an addict. It's like I'm a total addict for the New Yorker. Yeah, and the difference is the digital is you can go and read back articles and and back. Uh, yeah, and they also issues. have a lot more like um, they have more. They just have more writers online who so there's are online content daily. There's like daily content and Blog. there's weekly. There's blogs and then there's Richard no Brody, idea. the other film critic. For there's there's two film critics. There's Anthony Lynn and Richard Brody. Richard Brody is like, I don't know. He's like a film scholar. He's like a fan. He's kind of a fascinating character. And he does on digitally. He does these movie blogs that you've watched too, where he takes like an older film and kind oh, of breaks it down yeah. scene by scene. I really like that because what he yeah. does is he takes a film and it's a video podcast where he doesn't show his mug. It's just nicely cut portions of a film and he'll, you know, overdub his film commentary on it and it's five minute little nuggets and he's like kind of really really random but it'll always kind of raise your appreciation and you know maybe you'll seek out one of his films so i i, I that's called what the new yorker five minute film review or something i don't know it's it's out there somewhere yeah it's richard brody that does it it's, it's very, one of the very... few video podcasts that i'll actually enjoy and watch yes it's very complete, I would say. The whole point of a podcast is you can like walk around and do your stuff and not have to like totally. sit and watch something. Absolutely, so video podcasts are not something I watch a lot, but especially as a Montrealer, like for myself, like I walk everywhere. the The podcast, and actually, that kind of ties in, if you don't mind, to something I heard this week, which is uh, the New Yorker podcast, um, the New Yorker Radio Hour. It's called. They started a podcast. Um, it's there's not many issues, but it's also an excellent companion piece to anyone who's a fan of the New Yorker because they take like special interest stories and they interview the the reporters and the journalists who are always just full of great personalities. Um, and they come on to have discussions about the articles and then go a slightly more in depth into the some of the articles. Now, okay, so I, I'm familiar with, you know how they do podcasts these days. Sometimes there's kind of a, a name and then there's multiple uh branches of that brand you know new yorker uh culture podcast new yorker you know book review podcast like what are you talking about just just one podcast it's just the new yorker radio hour oh it's okay. just and it's actually hosted by the editor of the new yorker david remnick oh yes so they do, i heard yes. about this actually and so it's like features yes and, Okay. And they actually interview the cartoonists. They like have this like banter because you know the cartoons of the New Yorker are like super famous. They're hilarious. They're always sort of slightly absurd. So sometimes they have like two of the cartoonists like intermittently dispersed during the hour just talk about what they're working on that week and like they ha which caption they like. Now and that's really cute because yes. what they can do is actually. Um, bring some of that flavor, some of the character of the magazine in <laughs> literally yeah. instead of having little cartoons spurst, they'll have the cartoonists yeah, themselves on the radio. talk. Yeah. And uh, and chat. Yeah. Share a little bit of what they're working on. That's awesome. It's super wow. awesome. It's and it's so personable. Like I think that the New Yorker could sometimes seem a little bit 
sort of highfalutin to some people or they feel disenfranchised or it's sort of too intellectual or too New York intellectual. And the radio hour I find is super friendly. It's like very drawing you in. It's very human. They really like break things down. They speak very like sort of uh, friendly conversationally, I would there's say. A, if there's a magazine I don't relate to that you would, it would be in that domain of what you're like feeling like a little outclassed, I would call it mine that would be Vanity Fair. <laughs> it's like... What am I supposed to relate to in the millionaire yeah. that murdered his wife? Yeah. Scandal. Sure. Anyway, I'm very familiar. I, I, I feel like it's kind of outdated. Like, we used to love Vanity Fair. Yeah. Like, I used to read it all the time because I liked that stuff. Maybe, like, in Maybe my... Maybe it's not a thing anymore. I just... Yeah. It's in my mind. I guess we, I grew up with it around the house. Totally. So. Totally. No. I used to buy it all the time. But that's the thing, like, with magazines. Like, I used to buy tons of magazines all the time. You go to the magazine store every week and load up. And now, I hate to say, like, I only buy the New Yorker. Like, we don't buy magazines yeah, Well, you really pick your battles in this digital age where there's so much stuff available. You kind of, like, like my thing. I, I got into, like, what goes when everything can kind of be reproduced digitally over a stream? Like, what gets left behind in yeah. your case you know a lot of magazines yeah. became less important yeah you know so i mean in my case like i still buy music it's a it's a thing that i realized you know what when i was you know like stealing music and stuff i wasn't really listening to it that much i'd be like i'd be like i hear about this band is like i have that band but it's like i haven't heard the album but i'm like i know that name and i i, I got the album like it's just stop listening to music. So when you have like a vinyl LP and you got to like, you know, mm-hmm. flip it and clean it. It's and an event. It well, you, you're just going to damn well sit down and listen to that. Absolutely. And uh, I find I've never been more into music yeah. than I have been in the past like six months. And it's very, it's pretty cool. Like uh, it's, I'm, I'm having a good time with that. Absolutely. And so on that topic, what did you hear this week? Exactly. That does lead in nicely to the fact that uh, I picked up a nice bootleg uh issue of bob dylan's basement tapes which is record it was recorded in the summer of 1967 so while the world was into like psychedelic rock and summer of love and sergeant pepper and pink floyd and all this stuff is going on uh bob dylan basically retreated from the world i mean one year later we're talking summer of 66 he's the biggest rock star in the world he's kind of shaken up his his fan base and made a big big impact with um uh well he had that that trilogy of albums uh bring it all back home highway 61 and uh blonde on blonde and i mean he's literally having people going through his garbage and he's just at this and and audiences are booing him and it's just all kind of reaching. why are they booing him well because he he for those who don't know he he kind of had abandoned his folk roots right so if you guys saw uh, you know inside lewin davis last year you know you kind of got familiar with the scene he kind of grew from so all that from the the kind of the uh, authentic real you know, non-sellout, kind of artistic, passionate, working class, working man, true blue folk music. Here he is, big rock star. Then he's kind of done with that. So he's done with folk, goes electric, 
done with electric, crashes his motorcycle. And, you know, there's actually some debate if he, in fact, crashed that motorcycle or if that was his kind of his move to pull himself out of the spotlight. I mean, it's a great cover story, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, I read Chronicles, uh, or actually I heard uh, Sean Penn narrated his book Chronicles to me over, mm -hmm. over the Christmas break. And kind of became clear that he was kind of a different dude after that motorcycle accident. Mm -hmm. So while the rumor is out there that perhaps he may have uh, faked it, doesn't really add up to that because he's quite a different guy, way less manic. And that leads into, so let's say, so he retreats heels, I guess, for for the year. So one calendar year later, summer of 67, he's looking around. He's like, well, I don't want to tour anymore. People booed me for the past year and a half. And he's playing with the band, you know, bottles. from Toronto. You, I, I'd never heard that one about throwing bottles at him. Okay. So he's playing with the band, Robbie Robertson, all those guys. You know, I love that Canadian connection. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. And but so he's looking around. He doesn't want to go back on the road, but he's Bob Dylan. He's a songwriter, you know, and he's got a backlog. He's got this great love of Americana. And what does he do? He he gets them over and they're, the idea is they're recording demos. Bob Dylan had amazing management back then. And it was like, not only was he a rock star all on his own and albums and, and all that but his songs were being licensed so he had all these genres springing up kind of taking his songs and like going off in their genre and like so there'd be lots of like uh, publishing money to make so he was still writing songs or kind of like doing what he does where it takes kind of older folk songs and like he did with Woody Guthrie and kind of like re kind of amalgamating them mm -hmm. throwing on some new lyrics maybe with an older melody but kind of re-envisioning older folk songs so that's what he was that's what he's back again doing in the summer of 67 with the with the band very comfortable kind of environment as the basement tape suggests in his basement you know or robbie robertson's living room or what have you they kind of did a few locations for this you know basement tapes was actually a couple locations but like just picture it he's kind of been a year of convalescence He's with buddies, and I'm sure there's beers and good times to be had, and there's none of that nervousness of, like, shocking the world with your big electric sound. It's just kind of a musician kind of settling into old favorites or reinterpreting old favorites. And, of course, his wonderful new songs. And and the, the sound of it is kind of like this... Um, it's like bathed bathed in this warm celestial echo. I mean, it's a really wondrous sounding uh, recordings, you know. And the these recordings were released in '75, called the Basement Tapes. He at the time in in the summer of '67, he's like, "Look, Robbie," he's talking to Robbie Robinson. We're we're gonna burn these. This is not for public consumption. So in '75, there was a version released where I think Robbie Robinson, who was you know kind of gave himself a little more like heft in terms of his participation uh -huh. in the actual basement tapes. Uh -huh. He's like, like the, the recording from 75 or the release from 75 was like half band songs that recorded like that year. Mm -hmm. And like there were, I think their fortunes were sagging. They were going to break up in two years anyway. So I, or a year. So it's, I think he was kind of trying to reinvigorate the band's career and he was doing a little revisionist history with that 75 release. So this, bootleg re series release that came out this year or, or late last year late 2015 
is kind of setting the record straight. Like, on the record, this is his most prolific time. Mm. Uh, summer of 67. 101 songs are recorded. I mean, everyone talks about the Blonde on Blonde, like the Electric Years. Very prolific. Like, those three albums were done in a year and a half or even wow. maybe even a little bit less. But, I mean, Basement Tapes was done in one summer. Lots and lots of music. Um, just a really productive time. Loose as a goose. Just enjoyable listen. Rich and like I, I put it on all the time. You hear, yeah, it. it's great. I'm, it's been, and it could be like enjoyable. background, like vibey background music, or you can just kind of really get into the vibe yeah. and 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 the lyrics of it all. And it's both. Like when I when I just hear in the background, I hear in the background. Then when I clue, and I'm like, oh, I know this song. Oh, this is a different version of a song. That's yeah. Really and there's good. lots. Of, there's lots of that stuff too. Uh, so. Uh, Bob Dylan Basement Tapes Bootleg uh, Reissue uh, Strongly recommended There's like a really Like there's like the raw version I think Or the complete Which is like six CDs Or you can get like The more like kind of Greatest hits version Which is like three LPs Or two CDs Or something like that So um, a little overpriced guys But I mean If you're a Dylan head I don't think you'd be let down And it won a Grammy this year hmm. So I almost forgot that Nice. Okay, so moving on to something we saw this week. And speaking of Grammys, I think you're going to get into some awards nonsense. Oscars. <laughs> Oscars. Well, I think like most people, the Oscars, we watched the Oscars this week. We have a, We sure did. We did. We have a little soiree. We watched the hell out of them this year. <laughs> it's funny because we we host a, like a party and I, and sometimes like, I love watching the Oscars, and sometimes if there's too many people, I don't actually watch the Oscars. About a dozen people came over. We, I actually did a tally. We were 16 people this year. Good, good amount of It was a good amount. It was perfect. We had exactly that amount of space. Respectful audience. Like, people know when to talk. Like Yeah, exactly. In between yeah. the little moments, you get your little zinger in. Totally. And then... <laughs> and then we're back to listening and paying yeah. attention. Um, it's also a room where there are some people who do work in film, um, and so they really want to see who wins everything. Yeah. They also started the night with the screenwriting awards. I thought that was really great. So we got right into like our my favorite award of the night is usually the screenplay award, and so I like that they start off the evening of awards with that. I just would say the Oscars in general. It's two components, the show itself and then who actually wins the awards. Yeah. And Were so, we entertained and was justice done? Exactly. Yeah. Or is it like boring or like, do they have too many like dance things or like weird set pieces where it's like the nominated song and it's like so horribly staged and super embarrassing? This year I'd say there was only one embarrassing moment of the night and I thought that was like the Sam Smith. What's his name? The James Bond song. Well, his name is Sam Smith. Thank you. So Sam you, Smith. You already said it. Okay. So he performed this song from James, the James Bond movie. I thought it was dog poo. And I thought the song was so terrible. And then he wins. And then he says something about how he's the first openly gay man to win an Oscar, which is totally not true. Yeah. It's like something he heard <laughs> someone say about something uh, vaguely while he was doing something Talking else. Yeah. Revisionist history. So... Safe well, to say we're not a fan, but uh, yeah. And he was trying to like make a historical moment where, like Elton John has already won your award. Like you're yes. good. You don't have to make. <laughs> you don't so have many to make gay a people. Yeah. So many gay people have come before you. <laughs> so many. But um, so there was like all the controversy about um the the Oscars being so white and 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 the 
and about how there were no black nominees in the in the acting awards and Chris Rock who was already chosen as the host prior to all of this controversy I thought did an amazing job his opening monologue was phenomenal that's my criteria for Oscars it's like can we just can we have a laugh can we like it's Sunday night we're gonna like we're hanging out until like midnight or whatever totally. it's like make it fun like it's it's not like it's big deal to you but we're we're kind of like watching to have a good time you know mostly absolutely so super funny and you look around the room like belly laughs all yeah around. then louis ck comes with like yeah. the, the halfway point and so good kind of makes some awesome kind of poignant remark that uh, and super funny that you know okay all you rich guys like this is like for the this, documentary documentary short like this is actually life-changing like that this will be the nicest thing they ever own in their entire life while it's like you're gonna be it's gonna be your doorstop or is a you know so super funny and on my end that's why i appreciated the oscars as yeah, well. yeah they did a really good job i thought that whoever directed it did a good job of sort of keeping it moving i did think that just on a negative note the the one thing i didn't appreciate was any um references to the the hot button black you know oscars so white for the rest of the evening was really off topic like the stacy dash the actress came out and did some shtick that no one understood it was a very niche joke it was so awkward it i think it was no i heard retroactively that she's kind of a tough talking pundit that's on like right wing Oh, radio really? and television Stacey Dash yeah oh. and, and that's what she's kind of known for so I think you have to watch you know a particular Fox she was News clueless. so you know a couple jokes fell flat here and there but overall uh, pretty good it was pretty good I thought I mean the thing is is that we watch so many award shows so we sort of already know get the sense of the momentum of what's going to happen with who wins but I did think that um, the people who won for the acting awards. My favorite film last year was The Revenant. Yes. I just thought it was like such a Canadian story. I was just visceral, powerful. It's like my idea of a time at the movies. So Leo winning Best Actor. Yeah. Well, a bit of a cliche everyone was talking about. I was like, just as instinctually, it was just kind of like my uh, my, my preferred winner this year. You know, he's always so intense and like into it. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street was like a little over the top for my tastes and a lot of like screaming at the front of like a thousand frat boys in, a, in an office building. But um, that's awesome. I think this was the one like this was mm-hmm. just for like the chapped lips award. Yeah. He would have won the Academy <laughs> for best chapped lips. But uh, awesome movie. And the fact that the director has won best director I know, twice, twice in a row. I have to say I'm Bergman not a last huge, year. I'm not a huge fan of his, but. Um, well, you didn't see him. you didn't see the Revenant. I didn't see the Revenant, but I did see Birdman. And I've seen his, some of his other films, and I I decided that I don't know. There are just certain certain directors where I just sort of decide after four I'd or five films, I'm I'm good. I'd say the first half of Birdman was awesome. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the second half, not so much. Yeah, um, and then Brie Larson, who won for Room. Uh, she absolutely was like hands down. She was gonna win for sure. Did like, you see Room? I did not see Room. You saw Room. I did. I did not see Room. I did see Room. I liked Room very much. Yeah. And did you think she was excellent? I thought the kid should have won the yeah, Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kid is not. If that kid is not like not passable, whatever. But if that kid is not amazing, there's no movie. Mm-hmm. This this film is two people mm-hmm. in a room. Mm-hmm. 
So a little Jacob Tremblay, uh, probably bigger and better things coming from him, but who knows? Maybe he peaks early, you know? Um, you never know. Like a Tatum O'Neill style paper moon. For sure, for yeah. sure. Okay. And uh, as opposed to Anna Paquin, who's still acting quite a bit, she was nominated for the piano and won for the piano, I think. Um, we thought it was, I mean, um, a spotlight one. I, I thought, you know, like we are, the room that we had was very divided for spotlight. Some people liked it. Some people didn't. Yeah. I, I, I was, I thought it was okay. I mean, good. I've seen way better like journalists on the prowl, like for something as juicy as this, there was like one like jaw on the floor moment, mm-hmm. like one mm-hmm. and the movie could have been all jaw on the floor moments maybe they took a tasteful appro- approach to yeah. like a horrifying topic but i felt like there was like a lot more there but i think you have a different opinion on, on spotlight well i liked that it was i mean it was very subtle um anyway as opposed to something where it's like dark people in corners and there's like lights and everyone's staring out of doorways this was a journalism film this that was- happened to be about you know this this topic about you know abuse in the catholic church Exactly. And it was, to me, it was people at work. So it wasn't like there was a sinister person. It's, yeah, it's like, here's a cups, lawyer at it's work. It's badly fit, pa- badly fitting pants. It's like beige everywhere, you know, banal. Yeah. Banal. So banal. Like, like, um, so there's a, a couple scenes with Stanley Tucci, who's excellent as a lawyer. I mean, he has a terrible hairpiece. He's just in an office in some room and he has great subtle speeches about how he's treated as the outsider um, as an Armenian American in Boston. And it's so subtle. It's not like anyone's an evil person. It's just the way it is. And then Leah Schreiber comes in as like the Jewish editor of the paper. And that's not even like such a big deal in the movie. And I I appreciated that. There, Everyone is just sort of the role that they're in. Billy Crudup, who's the lawyer who had um, uh, uh, prosecuted a couple of the cases that's being interviewed by... Um, uh, two of the journalists in the movie could have also been the evil journalist. Oh no, and he's this evil person, but he wasn't either. And I liked that the movie kind of did that. Yes, there's a couple scenes where I was like, "Wow, this is really like, why does everybody have to have a connection to the church?" But everyone did have a connection to the church in Boston, and I thought it was very well done. And I thought Tom McCarthy, who we like a lot, he did another movie called The Station Agent. That's just a, like a delightful, also very subtle film makes these sorts of movies and i thought it was nice that it got uh, acknowledged and it probably will be forgotten i don't think it's going to be a movie that stands some oscar winners stand the test of time and some don't i don't think spotlight's going to stand the test of time in other words uh, undeserving of uh, academy award picture for best picture <laughs> like if it's going to be forgotten yeah. like you may kind of made my point which is like okay sometimes you get awarded for your like the timing of a movie mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that so well Thanks for, for listening to us this week. Uh, that's it for the podcast, Good Times in Montreal. Uh, we hope you can uh, join us on a weekly basis or every two weeks, as it, as it, as it turns out to be. Um, but uh, thanks for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you next week. Okay. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.